podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to The Last Word on Spurs. We're returning for our second show this week. We're trying to bring you, if we can, double shows of The Last Word on Spurs on a weekly basis. We hope you're all keeping well. We hope you're all keeping safe as we are continuing to battle and fight the coronavirus. Our thoughts are with all your families, all your loved ones. And as I say, keep holding them tight. Let's keep on following the government regulations that have been set out. Delighted to have back on this show with me, Lee McQueen's back. Lee, how are you keeping? How are you? Really well, thanks. Really good. Lockdown day, whatever we're on, they all merge into the same day now, didn't they? So hope everyone's keeping safe and well. Yes, agree with that. Hope everyone is keeping safe and well. Also pleased to have back on this show, I've got Jason back on with this one. Jace, how are you? Oh, well and good. Looking forward to a weekly catch-up and a bit of chance to, to talk Spurs, mate. Yeah, exactly. I think it's... In the past, the last six months or so, we haven't always wanted to talk Spurs, but we get the opportunity every week if we can. If we can talk Spurs, we'll try our best to do it. And also, pleased to have back on the show, a regular, of course, Jamie from the Daily Hotspur. Jay, how are you keeping? How are you? Yeah, very well. Hope everyone else is, all the listeners are doing well too. Um, unfortunately, still some uh, bad bits to talk about Spurs, I'm sure we'll get into. But um, yeah, plenty of stuff to talk about. So I'm looking forward to this one. Yes, like I say, still a lot to talk about with Tottenham. They're still giving us content every week. And if we can bring you shows, we'll most certainly try and do that for you. So we're going to start with, again, another breach of the social distancing that we've seen from Spurs this week. Lee, I'll kick things off with you. We're at the centre of another storm, this time involving Serge Aurier and Sissoko just two weeks after. Mourinho was accused of putting lives at risk in a one-on-one with Ndombele. We saw the duo flouting the rules during this pandemic, training together on Tuesday. Thoughts on it, Lee? Why is it still happening, Lee? It's beyond belief, really, isn't it? I mean, you, you would expect that, you know, that messages are going through with, um, uh, you know, the government and everywhere you look, you know, it's plain, clear as day, isn't it? What we all need to be doing to, to try and help the NHS, to try and help save lives, to try and make sure that people aren't dying unnecessarily you know because that's the reality people are dying when they actually could be saved um in certain instances and and actually if social distancing between footballers some people might just think oh whatever you know they're not going to make any difference but they are making a difference because if everybody felt like that then we wouldn't have a lockdown would we boys come on like get get a grip and do as you're told you know that, that's what I, I think um good friend of the show and friend of all of ours Alistair Gold top top journalist um he, he tweeted about it I just wrote back you know the, the reality of the situation is that Aurier, he does what he wants, when he wants, and says what he wants, whenever he wants. He just, you know, there's a, I, I remember a story, you boys probably know more about it than me. I remember a story when Aurier signed for the club. I remember there was a discipline record. He had a bad discipline record or something in his in his past or something. I don't know, but maybe listeners will be able to remember as well. But that's always grated on me and it always just makes me feel that he... He just does what he wants whenever he wants, says what he wants. He's he's constantly come out and said things about leaving the club and this, that, and the other. And I just think he's a you know, it's, it's again, he's part of my uh, rebels, uh, contract rebels from 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 last season or well, sorry, this season. It just feels like it's last season. Um, and I just think he's uh, think look, Sissoko's not not uh, not out of the blame either. They just you know, bang their heads together get them to stay in uh, you know do they live with each other have they been self-isolating together if that's the case and they're entitled to go out for their one hour exercise together but I don't think that is the case and Jesus come on guys just sort it out you're spot on Lee when you refer to Aurea's past his transfer to Spurs was held up by the home office as they deliberated on an assault conviction so you're very right that he did have a bit of an issue in the past which nearly actually held up his move to Spurs ironically 
But Jay's coming over to you. The pair, they've been forced to apologise after they ignored the government's lockdown regulations. I mean, again, you, you just question how have we got ourselves in this mess? Yeah, it's, uh, it's another case. But, you know, fortunately, a lot from across the river were, were also um, breaking self-isolation guidelines, I think, yesterday as well, weren't they? So that's, that's taken a little bit of the attention away from us. But as Lee says, we all know what the rules are. And if you can't be bothered to do it, then you know, how stupid you are. But, you know, none of us are surprised by Sergi's little uh, moments of brainlessness, are we? We see it a lot. Now, Jace, both the players, they are going to be making a donation to the NHS after disregarding the instructions brought in to try and ease the strain on the healthcare services. But they're unlikely to be fined by the club. Do you feel at the moment, given what happened with Mourinho and Ndombele, should it have been a harsher punishment? Or are you fairly satisfied that that's really enough for them to make a donation to the NHS? Well, the, the donation thing is just, it's like the guilty conscience thing, isn't it? We better better try and do something to win a bit of public sympathy for us or something. So, you know, I'm a, I, I think that the donations are a little bit cynical in that respect. So they had plenty of time to make donations before that if they wanted to, so, or public donations. But, you know, I don't know what the club can do other than remind them of their of their responsibility. We all know that, you know, players' contracts, there's, there's guidelines in there, what they can and can't receive two weeks' wages for, and, and presumably they're the only reasons a club can't find them because it's, it's not in their contracts to, or there's not a clause in there that allows them to do it. But, you know, it's just another embarrassment and just hopefully, you know, somebody at the club's got to get the message across and make sure it doesn't keep happening because, you know, it's, it's happening too often. Yeah, it is happening far, far too often. And Jay, you know, apparently Spurs' hierarchy, they've been left frustrated and feel the players should be fully aware, as what Lee said, of what is fully required now by them. The good work that we're doing on the club is slowly being now overshadowed by some of the negative things that have happened over this last month or so. It's just utter stupidity. And, um, you know, we, we've come on the last three weeks and we've had lots to discuss in terms of, um, you know, people flouting these rules, the Spurs players flouting these rules and Spurs kind of really putting their name in the news. And you'd think with all these incidents that maybe they'd, they'd look to be more much stricter than they are. And unfortunately, you know, we've allowed this situation to happen again. Um, for the pair, I mean, it's just absolute stupidity. And posting, I, I posted the news on my Twitter account. I was actually quite shocked by kind of the reaction. I saw a lot of people were suggesting, you know, it's, oh, it's not, you know, it was not that serious. It's not really a, a story worth mentioning. But, you know, you look at the number of deaths today again, you know, it's still 700. And, you know, and this is why... I think there's too many people that still feel way too relaxed about these rules. And, and you know, that's why these numbers are still so high. And, 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 you know, that's why the guidelines are in place. So these numbers are tried to drop. But obviously, we're all very disappointed that, that we managed to come out and put ourselves in another situation like this. And, you know, this has to be the final straw for Spurs. This cannot happen again um, because over the last three weeks or so, we really embarrassed ourselves as a club. We have indeed. And it just, again, is a shame because we've seen Spurs announced yesterday that Jose Mourinho is going to start volunteering by delivering food from the club's training centre to the distribution hub at the stadium. He thanks the frontline heroes. Amid was what we're in this coronavirus pandemic. And Lee, it's things like that. Mourinho stepping up and listen, of course, he's just human being. Of course, he's just part of the Spurs staff. But is it nice to see the manager now getting involved as well, trying to really make a really positive impact during this crisis that we find ourselves in. He was already doing some stuff in the, um, wasn't in the food banks, I think it was a couple of weeks ago when we saw him and he's uh, kind of making some food up or some sandwiches or whatever he, whatever he was doing um, before. So, and, and like we said last week, there is players and there is the club and, 
you know, the um, the facility used for North Middlesex Hospital and the, the pizzas and all the stuff that Danny Rose has done and tablets with Toby. It's just some really good stuff. But like we said before, you know, the negative headlines are the ones that sell. And, that, and that's why we'll get to hear them. And what the lads have just said, and, and Jamie summed up perfectly for me, we, we've... From a PR perspective, we've embarrassed embarrassed ourselves. Sorry, um, over the last few weeks, and it can't happen again. So stop doing it. Just when you're in trouble, sometimes you just got to get your head down, don't you, and work. And that's maybe what they got to do: is get their head down and work. Another story, Lee, I wanted to ask you about as we're on on the subject of the players and the staff. And an interesting story that broke last week, just as we finished recording, was that Spurs are looking at Pochettino's current compensation package that he's got from the club and they're hoping to reduce mm. that due to this coronavirus pandemic. Do you think that's right for the club to be looking to try and reduce that? I mean, with all that being said, they're also trying to do a wage deferral for Mourinho, his current coaching staff and the players. Is that right? We should look at Pochettino's compensation package he was given at the time? Again, I think this is one for legal, um, for, for the legal people amongst us and the legal listeners, really, rather than me. I mean, I'll just look at it from a from a business point of view, and, and actually just from a you know humanity or a morale a morally perspective. Sorry, which is there's two sides to it, isn't there? You know, from if if you if you've got a company that the person that you um, that don't work for your business anymore is still taking a load of money from you when you haven't got it anymore because of a there's a, a virus that was nothing to do with your business you can see why that individual would kind of want to try and renegotiate that. Um, but that's, that's not, that's not a moral standing. The moral standing would be, we've had a contract with you and, um, you know, we knew what we was getting into with that contract and therefore you're, you're owed and due the money and therefore, you know, we should, we should be paying you. So, you know, th- th- there's two sides to that story. I think, you know, I, I suppose where that story is going is it's opening up a negotiation to say, um, you know, can is there anything that we can do on? I think it's twelve million, isn't it, or twelve point five million, or something like that. Rick, I, I might yeah, be wrong. Yeah, well, but it's, it's a substantial so, so, at the moment. We understand it's eight point five million a year salary. So from that perspective, um, I suppose they they reversed their decision, didn't they, on the on the furlough, as we all talked about heavily over the last couple of weeks. Now they're trying to grab cash from from somewhere else. So you know, and and, and it looks to be like a, a um, you know a previous employee. Is, uh, is the target to get some cash back. It's fair to say, Jace, that when this story broke about Spurs potentially having to look at Pochettino's compensation package, it didn't really sit well with a lot of supporters. Again, Levy was under you know a lot of scrutiny for that if you go onto Twitter. But, I mean, we have to say that none of us are privy to what goes on in that boardroom and none of us actually know the finances to how the club is struggling at the moment. But the interesting thing I've, you know, we've seen also is that he has been strongly linked Pochettino to that Newcastle job if that takeover does go through successfully. And it does come about that apparently Spurs would completely miss out on any compensation um, if Pochettino was to take that job. Well, I think the story, which made me laugh, I think the headline was Spurs set for financial blow with Pochettino losing out on compensation for him. But the article actually, when you read it, said they'd be delighted if he went there because they wouldn't have to pay his wages anymore. So is it a blow or, or isn't it a blow? You can't can't be called a blow. In Brilliant. Head. And the rest of the article says it's actually what Tottenham would like. Um, I have a big problem with them asking him to take a pay cut. I actually have a big problem. I'm not just talking Tottenham here with, with any club asking players to take a pay cut when we all know that those clubs, as soon as that transfer window opens, will be quite happy to spend 30, 40, 50, 60 million pounds. So, and they all sit on assets. I mean, Tottenham, if they're that short of money, will then sell Carl Walker-Peters 
or sell Serge Aurier and don't replace them. And there you go. There's 20 million in the bank or whatever. You know, not necessarily that particular player, but there are ways that those clubs can sell off players that they pay huge sums to and they don't play. I mean, you know, Chelsea could sell Danny Drinkwater, can't they? So why do they want Chelsea players to take a pay cut? You know, just, there's, there's option there for clubs to do it that are beyond a normal business. So, you know, and, and I as a player would be sitting there fuming if they told me to take a wage cut and I then read in the paper that the club that told me to take a wage cut is about to launch a bid for a £40 million player. So, you know, I think that the whole thing of it is slightly different in football. And, you know, I don't think they should ask him to take a cut uh, at all and they should pay the contract up and then then he moves on and, and everything goes after that. What I would say to you, Jace, I mean, I, I, Jamie can back me up here. I haven't seen anyone linking Spurs to a £40 million player for a long time. I, I just <laughs> no, no, but, <laughs> but I know, I know what you mean from that concept. I see where you're coming from. You're, you're reading them on transfer room. I know Rick, that's our problem. <laughs> Rick, I did caveat that and say not just about Tottenham. But oh, okay. General, I mean, you know, if Manchester United want to go and sign Jaden Sancho for 100 million and Harry Kane for 200 million, then they better not start cutting players' wages. That's no, that's, that's what. I'm... That's true. Jay, key to bring you in on this one because I think when people saw the headline of Spurs are opening negotiations with Pochettino. Many fans started to get excited by the fact that, you know, he might be coming back. <laughs> we might have to consider yeah. that. But, I mean, tell us your thoughts on it, because it does appear to be keen that Spurs are trying to agree, as we said, that wage deferral with not only Pochettino, but Mourinho's current coaches, the players. Are you surprised that yeah. to this moment, as we're recording at the moment, there doesn't appear to be any kind of agreement in place yet with the players and a wage deferral or a wage reduction as we stand Yeah, I mean, if you look at the wages that we're already paying some of the players, you could suggest that we've basically given the pay cut anyway. So I, I, I can kind of understand when the players, you know, <laughs> feel as though maybe they are slightly underpaid anyway. So why they might feel slightly aggrieved by that. But they've been kind of speaking about whether um, the players can get that money back um, if, if the Premier League returns or whatever. And there's some like caveats, as we mentioned, or clauses that might allow them to get that money, which they've missed out on um, if certain things happen and the clubs are able to get sort of money from wherever they're missing out on currently, whether that be TV money. Um, so, look, if, if they were to be able to do that and they were saying to the players, look, you take a cut now, but you get that money back um, some other time, then then that's fine with me. I think in the, in the Pochettino situation, um, you know, it's a huge amount of money going out the club. Um, Pochettino, obviously, we know is such a nice guy and, um, you know, maybe he'd be a guy that might be willing and understanding of, you know, Spurs are losing this sort of money. But at the same time, look, if, if he tells them to just get lost, then, you know, I'd totally understand that because, you know, we, we at the end of the day, as Lee said, you know, we knew what we were getting ourselves into when we when he signed that new contract and we offered him that. So, unfortunately, you know, we have to take the hit if he does say no to us. I think also that... We know that Premier League players, I'm not again, I'm not talking Tottenham Hotspur only, I'm talking about Premier League players. Premier League players, when you see these, the quoted figures, and the most famous case of that was Van Dijk when, when everyone said he's on 180 grand a week and his, his actual contract was, was leaked by the, the German site that does all those leaks and his actual weekly contract was 124 grand a week. So at the moment, for instance, a player like that won't be receiving his appearance bonus. He won't be receiving his clean sheet bonus. He won't be receiving... Yeah, goal bonuses for Kane. So he's actually not being paid his 180 grand a week at the moment, is he? So he's already losing It's a massive point. So, you know, footballers get paid, in our mind, too much money. And we'd all like to see those wages come down. And I'm not defending the players. 
what I'm saying is in the case of they're not quite being paid the full amounts that they would normally get because they're not achieving their bonuses. And as I say, when a club will go out and spend lots of money having cut their wages, which is different to any other normal business, it's slightly different, isn't it? It's a really good point, Jason. Just following on from that, bringing it actually back to Spurs, and it's one of the things that Jamie just mentioned before as well about kind of not highly paid. Actually, a lot of the Spurs players' contracts are made up of then bonuses, you know, assist bonuses, appearance bonuses, clean sheet bonuses. Kane, famously, when he when he grabbed that goal, uh, was it Ericsson's goal? Was it Kane's goal? And he wanted to get the golden boot. Do you remember all that for a couple yep. of years ago? And it was all about kind of, yep. you know, how much gold bonus he's going to get. You know, maybe, again, interesting point, maybe the board and, and the guys have sat down and, 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 uh, and, and talked about well, hang on a minute. Look, Kane is on 200 grand a week, but actually he stayed because he was on 300 grand a week because of all his bonuses that he was getting. But if he's not getting any of them, then now do you see what I mean? Like, the point that both of you just made. So that's re- that is a really interesting point. And that's why going back to even back to the furlough a couple of weeks back, it is such a complex thing. Getting the season started again is such a complex thing. And Rick and I made a bit of a joke last week about, you know, get the season voided and, you know, we move on. But, you know, and, you know, to be fair, it needs to be played out because all of these things are coming into a culmination of, you know, actually, are the players knocking on the on the on the door, the chairman's door, to go look? What are you going to do for me here? Because I ain't my bonuses now. So, so I, you know, are you going to give me them? You know, and then they and then the board are knocking on their door, going, "Can you take a thirty percent pay cut?" It's actual carnage. And, and I was also going to just to tidy up furloughing. I keep seeing, and again, I'm not talking Tottenham specific. I'm talking about footballers. I see this argument that. Players can be furloughed because they're not working at the moment. But but if you look at the rules of furloughing, you can't be in, you know, you're, you're laid off of work. You're not allowed to work. And all these footballers are given programmes, fitness programmes by the club. In other words, yeah, whether, 100%. Whether, so we have the sales meeting, but we do a lot of preparation work before we go and have the sales meeting, don't we? And they're doing their preparation work. So, no, they're not turning up for the meeting at three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, but they're still doing all the groundwork to go into that meeting. As the TV's person, he doesn't just present the TV programme, does he? He spends hours reading the scripts beforehand and he goes in the makeup room and, and that's the equivalent of what they're doing in training. Exactly. We, we don't know when the season's going to restart. So, so you know, if all of a sudden you wait for just turn around and go, yeah, you know what I mean, Clo- behind closed doors, we're back in Maidhurst. How many of them players are not going to be fit if they're not doing that? And if they're training, that they are working. Particularly for some of our perhaps overseas listeners that, that aren't aware of our furloughing rules, that is why players can't be furloughed. Because if you yeah, want yeah, to fair work way, they can't be. You just can't do that. So that's the reason that it, it's happening that way. I'm just keen. I want to bring Jay in on a second on this. But Lee, I want to ask you, just on the Newcastle takeover rumours, I mean, at the moment it does appear that Mike Ashley appears very, very close to relinquishing control of Newcastle, subject, we have to say, subject to the Premier League approval with a Saudi-backed consortium, PCP Capital Partners taking over. Lee, there's been a lot of speculation in the newspapers about this, about this takeover, what it would mean for the Premier League, the other clubs, for Newcastle. You know, the government apparently could be involved in this because of the nature of who he's taking over the club. Just from an outside perspective as a Spurs fan looking in, what are your thoughts on this potential takeover of Newcastle and who is leading that consortium? So you've asked me a direct question. What is my thoughts from an outsider? I've, I, I personally think that it won't happen. 
Um, I think that there's, you know, when there's some really, really strong, I haven't read lots of newspaper stories or articles, but I did read uh, about BN Sports and how much they've come come into the Premier League to say you should you shouldn't allow the the consortium to take over a Premier League club. And when you look at how much power BN Sports have got, I think that they're either the first or the second largest, I suppose, customer really of the Premier Leagues for um for overseas rights so that they, they, they spend a lot of money with the premier league on getting them tv rights and if they're sort of saying look you know from, from our side um whether or not it's political because it's between two kind of different countries or, or, or the region that you know it's in the um uh in the united Arab emirates regions and that sort of stuff i don't know but the, but the reality is if you've got a, a huge client or customer that's basically going Mate, I don't think this is why you, you need to you need to do so. The Premier League have to stand up and listen. So that's my first point. I think the second point is if it does come over, get over the line, and Newcastle will have amazing. Look, Newcastle got amazing fans. They've got an amazing stadium. You know, I've got a couple of really good friends of mine that are Newcastle season ticket holders, and you know they they they're, they're a one city club and all of the things that we know about. And you know they come close a few years ago under under the uh, uh, great Sir Bobby Robson and you know, it's amazing uh, um, times with uh, with Kevin Keegan and whatever. But but the reality is that could they become a powerhouse like a Man City, like a Chelsea with the money coming in? I mean, I, I, you know my views on the whole money thing. I hate it. I loved our philosophy. I love bringing youngsters coming through and so on and so forth. But it, it hasn't so far worked for us. And, you know, it is about money, isn't it, nowadays, like we've just been talking about. So for somebody to come in, Jace will probably know more about this than me in terms of financial fair play and how that's going to work. But are, are the days gone where uh, an Abramovich and a, and then Man City um, can, can uh, uh, sorry, they can come in and take over Man City and just spend a billion pounds. I, I think they're probably past us because of fan, financial fair play. So it'd be it's it's definitely an interesting one to see how that goes. I mean, with Pochettino going there, I don't want Pochettino to go anywhere other than coming back to to our football club. If I'm brutally <laughs> honest, I, I love the guys. I'm still I'm still I'm still not yeah, out of the shadow, up, but yeah. yeah, yeah, but but um, we are where we are, and uh, look. Uh, if, if it's a good move for Pochino and his family and whatever, then fair play to him. But I'd, 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 I'd sooner rather see him in a Tottenham dugout than a Newcastle one. I've got to ask you, Jamie, bringing you in here. I mean, there's been so much speculation just in terms of this potential takeover that's going to happen. Um, again, your thoughts on it, because Newcastle are a club that, let's be honest about it, they've been, probably along with Tottenham, being labelled as the underachievers of the Premier League, never really got to the very top heights. I mean, they had that great challenge under Kevin Keegan going for the title, and after that, never really materialised into anything. They had some big buys along the way. I mean, we've seen them buy the likes of Adam Shearer, Michael Owen. They've had some really flair players, David Gillian, of course, as well. Um, from an outsider looking in, what's your thoughts yeah. on this potential takeover? I think Lee made a fantastic point about the financial fair play and maybe the limitations that would put on you know, um, big investors coming in and trying to put in lots of money into the club. You'd certainly think if they did have the potential to come and put lots of money in and, and sign lots of great players, you know, Newcastle are a fantastic club. I mean, you know, we saw the Sunderland documentary about kind of the passion up there um, in that, that part of the country and how much football means. And of course, you know, with Newcastle, you know, even when they have been doing poorly, they always get fantastic support. They've got, fun, you know, it's a one, uh, one city club. Um, so that you know, there's so much to be attracted to to Newcastle. So you'd, you'd certainly think that they could be a powerhouse again. Though, uh, you know, what would the implications of FFP would have? 
Um, I know also as well, these owners are kind of, there's a lot of political controversy over these owners as well. And, uh, you know, as Lee said, again, you know, about the sponsorships, you, you know, maybe that is something that, the, that when the uh, Premier League are kind of considering letting these owners come in and purchase the club, that might, might be something that they might look at and all, these, all the controversy surrounding them. And that might be something that put them off. It does kind of think that there might definitely be some doubt about this takeover. It did look as though, you know, it was very close to happening. But with, with all this, you know, controversy surrounding them and the politics surrounding them, I think there is probably some doubt. But, you know, in terms of, you know, there are a fantastic club, Newcastle. And, you know, it is difficult to see, you know, when you've got an owner like that uh, in Mike Ashley, who you do feel has limited them. You know, you don't really want to see a club in a position like that. So, you know, you know, I'd I'd love to see them uh, get taken over and uh, be great again. But yeah, uh, as I said, I think there is probably some doubt about this current takeover. Jace, there are many Spurs fans out there I've seen saying, "Why couldn't it have been us? I wish it could have been Spurs." When you see that, what's your reaction? Well, I think the price would have been a lot more than three hundred million if it had been Tottenham. So you know, perhaps that's part of it. I'm I'm honestly not not in the least bit fussed about it at all. I think you know. I, that's not dismissing Newcastle, but Newcastle, even when that money comes in, if they want to go after a, a top-class player, they're still going to be in the market and trying to sell Newcastle when that player has a choice of Paris or Real Madrid or Manchester City or Chelsea or Liverpool or whatever. So, you know, it's still going to take a hell of an effort for them to get the players they want. The FFP part, whether people like it or not, we have seen it start to have an effect. We've seen, you know, AC Milan chucked out of Europe. We've seen Manchester City go into a ban and things like that. So, and the third thing is, you know, if even if Newcastle do go and buy top players, it won't be the players that Tottenham would have gone for. It will be the players that Manchester City would have gone for. And so if they're going to Newcastle and not Manchester City, whilst it helps Newcastle, Manchester City start to drop down accordingly. So, you know, it's, it's like the... the it's like the scales effect, isn't it? It doesn't all go down on one end of the scale. Something has to give way at the other end. So, you know, like I say, Manchester United trying to buy Jaden Sancho. If if Newcastle go and nab him, you think, well, Newcastle will be better next year. But then Man United obviously aren't as, as good next year as they would have been. So, you know, don't don't panic about it. Don't suddenly think, oh, Newcastle are going to come along. The, the last time we saw something like this, albeit it wasn't on the 300 million scale, but, you know, Everton won that transfer window, didn't they? And look where Everton are, you know, are Everton now where they said they would be when Mashiri took over? No, they're not. And, you know, Everton was supposed to be above us by now. So, you know, it just shows you, don't panic and go into the over extreme and think Newcastle are going to suddenly go and spend a billion. They've got a few quid in the bank. So no regrets, Jace. It could be us. No, not at all. I've said it many times. We'd like that investment. We'd like fresh investment, but it will take more than 300 million quid for Tottenham. And, you know, we'll, we'll worry when it comes in. But Tottenham's probably going to be closer to 2 billion than 300 million. Yeah. No, no, that's fair. That's fair. Well, listen, we're going to go for a very quick break. When we return, still lots of Spurs stuff to talk about. We've got to talk about Eric Dyer facing a lengthy ban. As Jamie also mentioned on his Twitter account, Delhi Ali is still not out of the woods as well. Delhi could face a potential ban as well. We're waiting for a verdict for him to come back. We also want to talk about Yamba Tongan's future, Tungin Dembele's future, Spurs' stadium winning an award, and also our best Spurs 11s. Do not go anywhere. We're back after this very, very short break. Hello and welcome back to The Last Word on Spurs here. Thank you for downloading us during this difficult time. We hope you're all keeping safe and keeping well. I want to go next. Eric Dyer, who, according to the FA and according to many different sources at the moment, he could be potentially facing a quite lengthy ban. He was charged with misconduct, if you can remember back 
for entering the crowd to remonstrate in a threatening manner with a Spurs fan after that Norwich game. We're trying to forget about that Norwich game, that penalty shootout in the FA Cup. Jace, I'll come over to you first for a reaction to that. What do you think is going to happen with Dyer? Uh, what do you think will be deemed acceptable as well from the FA? Because it's such a unique piece, it's, it's difficult to know, isn't it? <laughs> you know, everyone will refer to it as the only other time I can really remember a player going into the crowd was Cantona, but he literally launched himself two-footed at somebody. And I think by the time Eric Dyer got up to the back of the stand, whoever was, was shouting and hollering had already done a runner, hadn't they? And probably with the great scheme of things I shouldn't think Eric Dyer's too fussed what they do to him at the moment he probably thinks oh so what I've got my mind's elsewhere but we, we'll have to face the consequences of it I wouldn't I think he might get six games it would be my gut feeling it or, or six games as much as six you reckon much as yeah, six I think they'll still look at it as a player left the field to play when he shouldn't have done and whether that's mitigating circumstances or not. So it wouldn't surprise me if they give him six games, that that type of figure. But, you know, who knows? Who knows? It's, it's so difficult because it's just an unprecedented incident, isn't it? And I think he's been, has he been charged under part of the part of the FA code where there is no defined punishment. So it's not like they can just say, right, that's the maximum we can give you is four. It's, it's completely up to them to come up with a thing so I think anything under six and we'll have got off lightly despite the fact I don't think anything like that should be applied to him but I think that's that will be the case yeah. he'll make the example yeah. Jay Dyer claimed at the time he left the pitch and entered the stands clambered mm. over rows of seats in an attempt to protect his brother who he noticed had been involved in an argument with an angry fan the FA wrote to Dyer for his yeah. version of events immediately afterwards and they issued the charge on the Thursday he's now got until Friday the 8th of May to provide a response, what do you anticipate is going to end up being the outcome here? Yeah, yeah. So as Jason said, obviously six games that does seem a lot. Um, now I saw that there was a report. Uh, John Cross, who I do consider to be a good journalist, he was kind of hinting that it would be a long ban. So it wouldn't surprise me if Jason's right and it is a six-game ban. Um, but it's a it's a really difficult moral kind of situation, really. Um, you know, in that sort of situation, when you know whoever, all the listeners at home. You know, if you see your family in that sort of altercation, that's the natural instinct to go and try and protect them. So, I, you know, in a way, I understand what Eric Dyer's done. The problem is you just can't do that. You know that the players cannot go and interact with the fans like that. You know that the fans obviously can't do the same with the players. Um, so it's a difficult situation. He shouldn't have done it. Um, so he, I think he does have to, to accept the ban that will come his way, unfortunately. I think it's also worth mentioning, Jay, alongside... Dyer. We've also got this situation with Deli Ali, where he's also waiting to yeah. find out the verdict for his ban after being charged for misconduct by the FA back in February. And that was for a course of video he released, ironically, on the coronavirus at the time, yeah. if you remember. And that, again, was a really stupid situation. And again, another, as I mentioned earlier, about Spurs not really portraying themselves in very good light. It was an embarrassing situation from uh, Deli Ali. Um, now, if I remember rightly, I think Bernardo Silva, he was involved in a similar situation where he posted... Uh, you know, slightly racist image of uh, ben, uh, Benjamin Mendy on um, on Twitter, and he was given a one-match ban. So for me, I, I expect, and, and the kind of the reports were at the time, that he was going to be getting a one-match ban, um, but rightfully so, because obviously it was a, such a stupid thing to do. You know, he's, he has to, as well as Dyer, he has to accept that ban. I think where delhi has got the problem, <clears throat> Eric Dyer's ban doesn't depend on the current situation, does it? What he did has, has no relation to now. Unfortunately for Delhi, I think 
I can't even remember the date he made the joke, but I, I think it was before we'd really had any cases here. So he, he makes a joke when very few people have died with it here. And by the time the FA sit down and have that meeting, you'll be talking about him making a joke that 25,000, 30,000 people possibly have died by it. And then if the FA come around and say a person's made a joke of 30,000 people dying, gets a one-game ban, can you imagine the media reaction to it then? So I think Delhi might be facing a bit more than the one game. And he'll be a little bit unfortunate in the respect that the timing has made it made his joke even worse than it was at the time. We're going to discuss UEFA's latest statement they've released in the early part of the week. And Jay, I want to come to you for a reaction on this one because UEFA have confirmed that if a domestic competition is prematurely terminated, qualification for next European competitions will be based on sporting merit determined by the Nations Football Association. Therefore, meaning for Spurs, they would miss out entirely upon European football for that next season. What's your thoughts on that from your UEFA statement? So what it does sound like is it does suggest that maybe it would be done on points per game. Um, now for Spurs, as you said, that would mean that Spurs would miss out completely on European football next season. Um, that's because Spurs would drop below Arsenal into ninth, um, which is quite incredible to think that Spurs finishing in ninth place after the last couple of years that we've had. Um, but that is also based on the fact that Arsenal have played one less game than us, and that game was against Manchester City. So what that's determining, I'm not quite sure. You know, you say it's sporting merit, but would Arsenal have got something out of that game? I'm not quite sure that Arsenal would have got anything out of that game and then perhaps would have finished below us. So that that's a real caveat that you have to consider and something that you know is very unfair on Spurs I'd have to say the other situation being as well is another crazy one is Sheffield United Um, they had a game in hand over Manchester United and Wolves um, and that was against Aston Villa and you know you'd expect with Villa being in the bottom three that would be a game that Sheffield United would win Um, and that would actually move them up into fifth and of course with Man City's ban you know, that could potentially mean that Sheffield United could have got Champions League football um, if they'd have played that game against Villa and won based on points per game. So for me, I, I find it really difficult to be able to decide the game, uh, to be able to decide European qualification like that. Um, I also saw about how it would guarantee Liverpool the title. Now, if you're guaranteeing a team the title and you're kind of guaranteeing places by that, is it fair to suggest that, you know, you relegate the sides that are currently in the bottom three based on that? You know, as Lee has said many times, you know, football is a game where you can, you know, things, it, that's why we love it, because it's so unpredictable. Anyone can beat anyone in this division. And I'm sure there'll be teams that have more home games left than other teams in the bottom three and, and competing for the relegation spots. So it's a, it's a difficult situation. It's a really difficult situation to how it's going to be determined these European qualification spots. But, you know, with all these games in hand and the possibility of of, uh, home games and away games remaining, that really does kind of uh, throw a lot of difficulties up for me. Lee, this statement UEFA have come out with, it has got the real chance of really having a detrimental effect on many clubs, their finances. I mean, you'd imagine there'd be a lot of lawsuits being created and prepared here when they read this about the sporting merit being determined by that Nations Football Association. Can you see this in any way work? I mean, this is an absolute... 
I mean, it's uh, it's so complex. Yeah, I can see lawsuits. I think they've probably already been drawn up. You know, I can see lots of things like that happening in the background. This this is going to rumble on, and and I think that that's one of the reasons why you know from a from a getting the season finished point of view, you kind of have to do everything in in your power to be able to get it finished. You, you look at Germany, who have had something like one hundred eighty thousand cases of COVID nineteen, um, and only had I haven't seen today's figures, but only had five thousand deaths compared to France who's had 185,000 cases and 22,000 deaths and you, you know the UK they've had 130,000 cases and 18,000 deaths why am I talking about that because Germany are saying come May the 1st you know like what next weekend that they, they think they're ready to start the Bundesliga again so if you start seeing clubs uh, or sort of other countries other affiliates starting starting the season and then other countries can't start the season. That's where it becomes really complex as well, um, outside of just the Premier League. And obviously, we are talking UEFA because we're talking UEFA qualification. Now, from with my Spurs hat on, obviously, I think it was. Um, uh, I'll get. I'll find the the credit in a minute and give him a shout out on the show. But uh, one of the guys on Twitter come out with, uh, you know, maybe you look at the affiliation, like the rules that they do about how they're potted. Do you, do you know how they're potted in in pot one, pot two, pot three for coefficient? That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, you're over coefficient. So, so maybe we do something like that, but it, it's kind of that coefficient of what, what you've done in the competition or how, how much you've qualified for it over the last, I don't know, five years or eight years or three years or whatever that might look like. Um, so there's lots of different ways. I mean, whoever interpreted, I think it might have been um, John Cross that, that, that broke that story. If, if I, I might be wrong there, so forgive me again. But, um, you know, they, they interpreted the story. No, I think you credited them, Jamie, actually, who, who broke that story. Martin, but, uh, yeah, Martin Lipton. Lipton. Martin Lipton. Sorry, you guys have had him on the show, haven't you? Sorry, Martin. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Martin Lipton broke that story. And, and it was interpreted that it would be a kind of uh, a points per um, average points per game basis or whatever. But maybe it might be something different. Maybe they're just putting options on the table. Maybe it might be that you finished in the top four the last five years, so you're going to be, you're going to go in it again. Or you know, nothing nothing that they come up with unless finishing the season seems fair, does it? So I can't play the oh that's unfair card, but it just seemed incredibly unfair, doesn't it? For for you know the likes of the Bournemouths or the Aston Villas or whatever. I mean, how Arsenal could go above us if they've got a game in hand? That 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 can't be. They, they'd surely have to bring down. So everybody's at least played the same games, or, or you know, maybe you do it at the half season point. I mean, I don't, who knows? It's not going to be fair, is it? It's. I'm glad I'm not making that decision, Rick. I have to be honest. Yeah, really, really tricky one. And Jace, to get your thoughts on that. I mean, in any way, that person that made that decision could this have been an ex-player or anyone connected to football? Because it just seems such a harsh and brutal way of coming to a conclusive verdict here of what to do. Well, I think you know we've seen the the chaos it's causing in Scotland with this points per game ratio and I see a team came up on the uh, on the television last night I think they're 12 points clear at the top of the division yet the team that's finished third has been crowned as champions because they played less games I think they played about eight I mean that's ridiculous isn't it Jace? that is absolutely ridiculous you just that'd be like Liverpool like Liverpool being not being crowned champions because of you know something you know that's ridiculous you just can't do that but but as you say if it reaches the point where we have to have a decision for who goes into Europe and we haven't been able to play the games, I don't know, is there going to be a fair system? And sadly, yeah. someone's going to miss out that they'll feel is unfair 
and that that's where all the the legal problems. The, the problem with the legal side is, will they even be able to hear the court cases before the, the before next season kicks yeah, off? No, so crazy. You've got that problem, and and I think with the football, you know, if you decided it based on this season and you said points per game and it was going to end at this season so Liverpool are champions and, and Aston Villa are relegated so be it but it is the implications then of the following season that what football has the problem with isn't it that teams in the Champions League therefore they have that much more money to spend Do that, does that strengthen their chance to stay in it longer for the following season there's all those knock-on effects of it isn't it it's, the, it's, it's not so much how it affects this season it's the knock-on effects of it but I, I don't know how I mean presumably the Premier League will meet and it'll all go with the 20 chairman and it'll be a vote and we know their votes have to be the two-thirds majority so if it's a, a choice of option A or option B and one's points per game or one's the league table as it currently stands then one of those two systems has to be, be done I even, I even heard somebody saying in which case play the rest of the games as just on one day as a penalty shootout and you think it's, it's a crazy idea not Tottenham sounds. not Tottenham but, no but <laughs> But you know what I mean? You think, of well, course, at least yeah. that gets the season done in a day and it is down to a bit of football skill rather than a mathematical thing. And yes, Spurs take six penalties and might beat Man United and they might lose to Leicester, but at least it's a way. And, and it sounds, don't, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not suggesting that's how we do it. But if, if the decision has to be made tomorrow and we're down to the very last, you know, any of the systems aren't palatable, then suddenly it's not such a mad idea as it sounds if it got everything finished in a day. At least it's doing it on a better than doing it on a mathematical formula. At least some part of football has gone into the final positions. Yeah. I mean, when you take mm. into account, Jace, that yeah, we, lost to Col- we lost to Colchester on penalties in oh, Norwich. But, I, 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 I know what you but, mean. I know, I know exactly what you're coming from. I know what you mean, but yeah. If it's on points per game, we're not in the Champions League. No. If it's our position, we're not in the Champions League. So if we miss our penalties, the worst thing is we're not in the Champions League. It, it doesn't affect, but we might just get in that way. So, you know, but it's so I, I think Tottenham would have more to gain from doing that type of thing than, say, a, a Sheffield mm-hmm. United or a Wolves that might think, hold on a minute, we're, we're right on the, or a Leicester that might suddenly find themselves. I mean, we, we talk about Liverpool's success, but if you think Leicester have been in that top three with a comfortable, I mean, I think the gap between them and fifth is still eight or nine points, Leicester. Leicester should deserve the Champions League next year. But, you know, they uh, might be being kicked out of it. I know they could be caught, but, but, you know... But that, think, it, it, exactly, I was just going to interrupt you, I think that's a fantastic point again, because Leicester in exactly the same situation, probably a little worse off, actually, than what Tottenham were last year. Uh, before the Burnley game. And yep. um, we, we had such a massive gap over fourth place and beyond. We were third, absolutely roasting for all, no, no problem. We were definitely going to get third. And in the end, w- w- with that Abanyang penalty miss, that was what got us into the top four. And it was one yep. point. Yep. And, and, you know, so that's the point that Jamie just made that we spoke about last week. It's football is such fine margins. We talk about it on the pod all the time and it's why we love it so much. How can you do, I know we're in president at times and we keep saying that word and whatever, but how can you, how can you do a forecast on what the feet season is going to end like when you just don't know? Leicester City were about, I think, half an hour or one game away from, from being relegated the season before they won the title. And then they won the title. This is why we love sport. And this is why we love football. How can you just, you know, you know, people say about, you know, if you void the competition, 
it, it you know it takes it away from it and i kind of I, I understand what they're saying and i don't disagree with that but actually if you do this end of the season it kind of takes away from it i mean you know liverpool to win the title look let's be honest everybody listening to this pod regardless if you like liverpool you don't they they're going to win the title wouldn't they even if the, even if the corona didn't happen and i wish it didn't liverpool would have won the title but it's the people at the other end of the table so obviously defending spurs because we're all spurs fans you know what's the best thing for us? We've seen it happen with Arsenal. If you drop out of the Champions League for one season, that's sixty million. You know, then you then you might not get again like what Jace just said on the reverse. But Spurs might not get back to it again because we haven't had them funds and la la la. And then all of a sudden we lose a cane and then we can't go back in again. And all of a sudden we're out of it a second season and a third season. That's what's happened to Arsenal, and it it, it really does hurt the club. So. There's massive ramifications, huge lawsuits, whatever it might be. And that's why when you think about that penalty shootout thing is, is probably not as daft as it might have sounded. Actually, when you start thinking about it, at least you've got some football, it's social distancing. No one has to go you know, against the corner and whatever. So you can still play the games per se, or, although it's been a, you know, it's been a penalty shootout. At least you get them results. And, and it's done and dusted in a day. And it's done and dusted in a day. Exactly. The whole thing. And then we can move on. We, everyone knows where we are and we can, and we can move on. I mean, it's, it's not ideal in ideal times, are we? So that might have legs. Start peddling that, I think. Yeah. All I'd, all, needs must. All I'd, needs must. All, all I'd also say on the final positions, I know lots of people are talking about, well, fifth might be enough because of Manchester City. I think what will happen is that Manchester City obviously were, were always going to appeal their ban. Yeah. So I think all that will happen is that Manchester City will be allowed to compete in Europe next year and the ban would be then delayed by by a season so that they have time to, to, to put their appeal together. They're not going to just carry on without it without them even having an appeal because the worry would be that if Manchester City won their appeal, they're then going to turn around to the UEFA and say, hold on, you just said a whole year without us kicked out when we won our appeal. So I think Manchester City will definitely be amongst the top four next year and they will have their Champions League place. But as I say, I think they're banned right then instead of being next year and the year after, they just delay that by a year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jay, I want to bring you in. We've had some transfer news. Now, again, uh, Jason's already going absolutely crazy. Transfer season. We're not even in the transfer. Ah! <laughs> He's back. Jason McCullough on the transfer window. Um, Sky Sports are reporting again. Credibility on this one. We're not too sure how credible it is, but Barcelona want to sign Tungi Ndombele from Tottenham and they've apparently offered us Samuel Umtiti and Nelson Semedo in return. What's your feelings on that transfer? And yeah, give us, I mean, just your just, just yeah. thoughts. Would you be open to negotiate with Barcelona? Because again, this corona crisis would yeah. simply mean that there's not enough money to really be able to offer Spurs you know, a, a cash amount for Ndombele. Therefore, maybe a, a player swap could be mooted and could be a possibility on this. What do you reckon? Firstly, the two players, Umtiti and, and Samedia, they're both in positions that we would probably be looking for in the summer, a centre-back, a central defender and a right-back. So in terms of the right positions, yes, they are the right two positions. But in terms of the two players, I mean, Samuel Umtiti is a player that's had a really poor injury record over the last few years. And, and you'd question whether Samedo is a guy that that is, you know, there's probably better options out there. I mean, for me, I... I I was having this discussion with with some of my other mates, and they were saying I said that uh, Diego Godin and Max Aaron's would probably be better options for Spurs. But with Ndombele, I think it's a really difficult situation because ultimately, for me, it has to come down to whether Ndombele is motivated to be at Spurs. I mean, we we were also discussing this. You know, is this year has been really disappointing as we know. 
Um, it's difficult as, you know, we had a podcast yesterday with a former Spurs player and he was discussing kind of, um, you know, you, you don't really fully understand the, the situation of a player. And, you know, we don't know the full ins and outs of why Ndombele kind of hasn't really fitted in. But, you know, it does kind of look as though he is maybe slightly unmotivated to be here. So for me, first and foremost, that has to be the number one priority. You know, does Ndombele want to be at Spurs? And if, if he doesn't, then I'd be more than open to selling him. But I think in terms of that offer from Barcelona, that's not an offer that, you know, that really I'd, I'd be taking. Jace, I've been very, very clear so far that in my mind, and I think this is the key that like you mentioned, if the player does want to be here, and I'm talking if he does want to be here, for me, I would do everything to try and keep him. You know, we've looked so hard to try and find a player to come in and become that Moussa Dembele type player. And at the moment, you know, Ndombele, he's shown glimpses of what he can be. No, he hasn't shown that over a consistent basis. But I think the key here is that it does take players time to adapt to a new league, adapt to a new philosophy, adapt to a new manager, new teammates. For me, we've already seen the glimpses that there's such a quality player in there. Surely, if he does want to be here, and again, I have to emphasise, if he does want to be here, we give the man the time to really have a career in a Spurs show. Because I think he will be incredible if he wants to be here. Well, I, I think you're right. It, it's the key position. It's the player that we all wanted. And we know that he's capable of being the player that we need because we've seen him do it. But unfortunately, we see him do it for five or ten minutes once every two or three weeks. The, the key is, does he want to be here? And, and it would be a straight question for me. Do you want to be here and play? And if you do, then, then there's no deal for me. But if he says do you know what, I, I really don't fancy the Premier League, um, I, I'd sooner go on, and I, and I understand why if it's Barcelona, that would be a bigger appeal than Tottenham, but we saw what happened when you kept an unmotivated Christian Eriksen, it's, it's a name on the team sheet, but that player no longer exists, and that's the problem, and we can't afford players in key positions of that pitch to be, to, to be lackadaisical in any way at all, and I think the other side of it is that let's be fair, we lose, we're going to play the rest of the season behind closed doors and we'll certainly play a part of next season behind closed doors and we probably won't have Champions League football. So you're talking about that, that balance sheet being about 90 or 100 million quid debt. I think the figure today is Tottenham rev, match day revenue is 6 million. So if, if you've got the next 10 games behind closed doors, there's 60 million to start with. The, the loss of Champions League money will take you up to around about 100 million. So we're going to have to be very clever and think and that's that money. We know, let's be fair about it. We can sit here and be honest. Daniel Levy will take most of that from that transfer budget. And so we have got to look and say, what positions on the field do we really, really need to fix? And you've got to be, you can't just think, well, we'll get rid of him. We'll get rid of him. We'll get, and we'll buy a replacement because we won't be able to buy all those replacements. So even for me, Jan Vertonghen today, I'd actually now... Right up to that virus, I'd have said, let the end go. But suddenly I think, do you know what? If we're in the Europa League and we need a left-sided centre-back, then keep the end for the two years and we'll use that money because we've got £100 million less to spend. So we definitely need a right-back and let's go and spend it on that rather than a right-back and a left-back and things like that. So Ndombele would come in for that. Do we, do we really want to replace Ndombele and go and spend a lot of money because we've got a decent player there? But as soon as he wants to go, you think, right... He'll have to go and we have to be creative and use the best way to, 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 to use that money without dipping too much into a budget. Yeah. It's hard, really, really hard for them. And it's not, that's going to affect not just Tottenham. It, it's all those clubs, you know, particularly the, 
you know, Arsenal's match day revenue, I think he's five and a half million. Man United is eight million or something. You know, that's a lot of money to be missing from behind closed doors. And the only way they're going to be able to get that back, as I say, is to take that from transfer budgets. Lee, I want to ask you, again, I, I kind of made this point at the start of this statement about Ndombele, that for me, if you're going to, again, look to trade a player, isn't it, again, another massive risk when you're bringing two players, again, from overseas to have to learn the language, number one, learn to play in the Premier League, learn to play under Mourinho? Again, it feels like, for me, it's going to be another learning process here for two players that haven't <clears throat> ever played in the Premier League. Again, that's a big risk that comes with that. Would you rather, if the player wants to be here, we keep him with Mbele, we know what we signed, we know why we signed him, and we give the guy the chance to perform for God the amount of money we spent on him? I agree with all three of you, to be fair. Um, it, you know, we're all saying a similar thing. I think, you know, if he does want to be here, then he then he should stay. Uh, we should keep him because he is he's a baller. He's going to be a baller. There's absolutely no doubt about it. If he moves to Barcelona, all we'll end up getting in a season and a half time or half a season's time is look how good Ndombele is. We're, we're arseholes. We let him go. Leave his ball, blah, 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 and whatever happens. And, you know, so we're in a bit of a rock and a hard place. I think on the two players that we're in offer... Yeah, they're coming from a foreign league. And again, you know, we've said this many times in the pod, I'd rather I'd rather hire or recruit somebody that is that is proven or have got some sort of Premier League experience so they don't have to have this bedding in time. I mean, you look at La Celso, uh, we had a bit of a debate, uh, one of the lads put it on there, didn't they, about, you know, how good, I think it was uh, our very own John, uh, put on how good La Celso been. And there's loads of comments, you know, six out of ten, seven out of ten, eight out of ten, he's been amazing. I think Jay, she said about you know he hasn't been he's been seen it in fits and starts and and you are right I mean I, I gave him a seven out of ten but we haven't really seen the best of Vasilsa yet because he's bedding in you know he had that injury and all that sort of stuff so so to judge Tungo and Dembele on on what we've seen in fits and starts is is, is not right. But again, it comes down to his attitude. None of us will ever know if 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 they've had that conversation eye to eye, you know, in the club. I'm looking at your eyes. Do you actually want to be here? Do you actually want to be here? And if he don't, then then you've got a situation to consider. With with the two players on offer from Barcelona, um, uh, you know, Samedo and, and Titi, which would be a great name in the, in the Premier League, um, you know, are they in the key positions that we need? Yeah. So that that probably means that the story's made up somewhere from from somebody that's just putting two and two together to fill column inches. So let, let's let's see what happens. I mean, like I always say. Uh, Rick and Jamie's sure department transfers, but what I would say is Jace makes a brilliant point again on the money side of things and, and actually trading people in for, for, for another player rather than just cash spending cash might be the new it might be the new way of football. You know, we, we saw that deal go through with Sanchez uh, to Manchester United, didn't we? And um, it was a straight swap, wasn't it? For for well, I can't remember what the reason was now, but it was a, it was a straight swap with. Um, uh, Mkhitaryan. Uh, thank you, Mkhitaryan, yes. Um, and, and maybe deals like that might start to happen a little bit more uh, across the European clubs. But you know, it, it still doesn't uh, hide the fact that if you bring in players from overseas, they need that embedding, embedding in period. And we, we, we can't afford to have that now. So so people that have played in the Premier League, and, and that's why people saying about, you know, Giroud coming, um, you know, oh, he's not the signing we need. We don't want him. But he's banged goals in for years in the Premier League. He gets it. He's a World Cup winner. He knows it. I know he doesn't play as a centre-back, but, you know, he's a backup to Kane and all that sort of stuff. Is You know, you'd probably get more out of Giroud in the short-term one season than you would of an overseas player coming in who who's maybe a, a pie tech or whatever because of he knows the Premier League. William, and all you can honestly say with, with Ndombele as well is we know that 
fight see the 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 transfer market is going to be affected by the finances without a doubt and Tottenham more than anyone we know that happens the finances take over and we hear talking people about players taking wage cuts Tongi and Dombele we're led to believe is our joint highest paid player so if he doesn't want to play at the club and he's on the the wages that Harry Kane's on then you get rid you certainly can't afford to pay somebody the highest wages in the club who can't be bothered to play for you, especially not in, in next year's financial market. So, you know, hopefully he gets his head sorted and we keep the player. But for me, I'd be thinking, well, if, if there's any thought of him wanting to go, do it. And then maybe you don't do the swap and you just say to Barcelona, well, it's going to cost you it's going to cost you what we paid for him. It's going to cost you 50 billion and you can have him or something. And you then try and use that money to buy who you genuinely do want. But, you know, I don't think you can keep an unhappy player as the joint highest earner at the club. Yep. Contra the time, I want to try and squeeze in our best Spurs eleven. So very quickly, just to finish up, Jan Vertonghen, he's been speaking this week. He says there'll be more interest, he believes, in him and other free agents due to the impact of the coronavirus. A quick keep or sell, or say keep or give a new contract or renew his contract across the panel. For you, Jace, would you renew his contract or allow it to run out? What would you do? Post-COVID, I'd give him a two-year deal. Pre-COVID, I'd have definitely got rid of him. OK. Jay, Jan Vertonghen, renew his contract or allow it to expire and let him walk away from the club for free in the summer? What would you do? Yeah, I'd let him go. Um, I think he's a player, as we've mentioned. I don't think... I think he's a guy that wants a new challenge. I think he's been here for, what's it, nearly uh, nine to ten years. So he's been here for a while. So I certainly think he's a guy that will look uh, to move on. I think there are options out there as someone that I've mentioned. I think Godin is someone that we've been linked with. I think he's a player that would really suit under Jose Mourinho. Um, he's a, uh, just a guy that's proven at Atletico. And in the he's Sydney a winner, Jay, isn't he? He's an experienced winner as well. Exactly. I think he's a guy... Exactly. He's a guy that would give everything for for the team, um, as we saw under as his, as his time at Atletico. So he's a guy that maybe I'd look to, to target. He'd obviously be relatively cheap with him to look in and move him on. So I think there are options out there, to, cheap options out there to go and replace Jan. Um, but as I said, I think Jan's a guy that probably wants a new challenge. He mentioned about learning a new language. Um, so I would personally let him go. OK, brilliant. And Lee, for you, Jan Vertonghen, keep or sell, what are we going for? I say keep or sell, keep or let his contract uh, expire. Yeah, my, my heart says uh, keep because I, I love the fella. I think he's been brilliant for us. Nine million quid. I think we paid 9.1 million for him or something like that. Um, as Jamie said, like nine years ago, uh, he's been fantastic servant to the club. And, you know, my sentiment is I, I want him to stay and I want to keep him. Um, but I do keep thinking, look, we, we kept saying about this rebuild. We kept saying we need to refresh. We kept saying, we've said it the whole season. Um, you know, from the Poch days all the way through the Jose days, we need to do something different. Um, and if you keep doing the same thing, you keep getting the same results. And everybody that I listen to on Twitter or read on Twitter always wants something different results. We want to win cups. I'm in the same boat as them. So we've got to do something different. So um, I think it's a natural uh, a natural end. That's coming to a natural end. He, he gets the bonus of being a free agent and choosing where we can go. So, you know, um, from a he's a lovely fella bloke and we, you know, he should deserve a testimonial. He's kind of getting the, the benefit of being able to go and negotiate anything because there's no transfer fee involved with him. He's only 32, which is birthday yesterday, wasn't it? So, um, you know, for ha- happy birthday, Jan, and, and I hope it works out for you. Um, maybe you go and hook up with uh, with uh, Moussa Dembele, your best mate in um, in China. Yeah, 
we'll have to wait and see what pans out on that. Just some very quick news also as we're here before we bring you our best Spurs 11s. We've seen Hummin some report to his boot camp in South Korea. That was on Monday to begin three weeks of his military service. He faces tear gas exercises, 18-mile marches and shooting drills with live ammunition. So hopefully Sonny comes back alive and well, fingers crossed. We've also seen the Spurs Stadium win an award and that was for the world's best stadium. The stadium has now picked up 12 industry awards since opening just over a year ago in categories that include structural engineering, architecture, building design, branding and wayfinding and inclusivity. So the stadium is winning awards. Let's just hope we start winning some more games there. I think that's all I can hope for. It's a wonderful stadium. We want to make it feel like home. But we want to end the show with a bit of light-hearted stuff and bring you what we have got as our best Spurs 11. So... I tell you what, guys, I want to kick things off. I have actually gone for what we predicted was our team in a decade, which we did, obviously, before the start of the new year. So my team, and I've got to go from goalkeeper, then from defence to midfield and attack. I went with Hugo Lloris in goal, a back four of Lee's favourite right-back, Kyle Walker. Yamad Tongan and Toby at centre-half. Danny Rose, Jason's favourite at left-back. And then in a midfielder, Luka Modric, Moussa Dembele. I did put this guy in there, Christian Eriksen. Gareth Bale, and then the forwards, you could deem as a forward, I had Hummin Son and Harry Kane. So that was the team I had as our best Spurs eleven for me, and I went over this decade. Let's go to Jason. Next, Jace, your team you've got there in front of you that you've gone for. I'd base mine on players I've actually seen. So I went with Ray Clements in goal, uh, who's the best goalkeeper, because I missed Pat Jennings. I saw Pat play one game, so I can't really put Pat in. I think everyone would say Pat Jennings is our best goalkeeper, but Clements, for me, the best one since. Steve Perryman's at right back, because if you've played 864 games for Tottenham, you must be a good player, that's for sure. So um, I've got Chrissy Hewton at left back. I've gone for Medley King and Gary Mabbott as my two centre-backs. I've got Hoddle and Ardilas in the centre of midfield. I've got Waddle one side. I've got Gareth Bale the other side. And I've gone for uh, Harry Kane and probably Sheringham or Lineker. I might just, gut would say Teddy, but I think Kane and Lineker would work better than Kane and Teddy. So I might go Kane and Lineker. Okay. I'm loving the difference here in teams. I'm going to go next to you, Lee. What have you got? Well, it's brilliant as well. Because I, I, I mean, I mean, actually, when you look through the, uh, you know, the, the, the squads and the history books and whatever, we have had some absolute belting players. I mean, people that, that you need to have a mention. I mean, how, how are we not mentioning Jermaine Defoe, for example, um, who, who also doesn't make my, my 11, but ultimately, you know, hasn't made either of yours either. And don't know if he's made yours, Jamie, is he yet? But, but the reality is some fantastic players, Robbie Keane, etc. But I've gone for a similar thing to Jason, but people that I've actually seen live like people that I've actually seen on the pitch play live so so my goalkeeper is uh, is Hugo Lloris um and yes I've picked Carl Walker who uh, if you don't know already by now is one of my favorite players um, I was gutted when he left um and I've actually gone with um Ledley King and um Toby Alderweireld as our as our center backs and uh, and our left back I was torn on this one because Bow coming to a club as a left back, but he, he never really was a left back for us, was he? So I've had to put in um, Danny Rose um, because then them seasons that 15, 16 season, 16, 17 season, he was the best best left back in Europe in my opinion. So he was fantastic there. Um, in the in the centre of the pitch, um, I never I never saw the likes of uh, Ardiles or Perriman or Hoddle or Mabbott play live, so I can't put them legends in. Um, so I've gone with uh, a, a um, 
Musa uh, Dembele um, in central uh, and alongside Luka Modric. Um, and also on the left-hand side, again, one of my favourite players, David Ginola. But how can you put David Ginola in front of Gareth Bale in my, in my team? I just couldn't, so I had to put Bale on, on the left. Um, I've got Sonny in there on the, on the right. Um, and I've got Harry Kane, and just sitting behind Harry Kane, I've got Teddy Sheridan. Jolly, it fascinates me the amount of quality players that all of us we, we can't fit in, and it, it is, it's just crazy, isn't it? When you look back, you know, Ginola, and like you've mentioned Defoe, and some of the quality players that we've had that haven't really had a mention, but it's just one of those things that when you're basing it on players you've seen, and obviously I've gone for more of a decade style, uh, it's fascinating, I was, really. I was just going to say, Lee, you could play Bale at left back and then bring. Who is it you wanted in there? Ginola. David Ginola. Yeah, Ginola. No, you, you, could, could you could have, do you that. Could have, so, could get rid of Rose. You're trying to get rid of Rose, are you? I'm saying, do you want Ginola in the team? Or He's still doing Danny it now. Rose in the team? <laughs> He's still trying to get rid of Danny Rose. I, no, I, tell you, I, I just want to say, Danny Rose has been absolutely fantastic during yes. this time. You know, yes, some yes. of the gestures. And I've given him lots of stick, but... You know, I'm not too big to say that what he's done in this this epidemic or pandemic rather has been excellent and the work he's done. And I'm sure there's a hell of a lot more he's done that we haven't even seen. Yeah. So, you know, I'm perfectly big enough to, to to give Danny Rose full credit for that. That's for sure. You just don't want him but in I, any team of the season. But I, any, any I team still sooner have Ginola in my team than him, in which case I've got that <laughs> Let's go over to Jay. Let's see what Jay's got. Is assembled 11 as Jay. Give us your team. Firstly, what Lee said, you know, it's very true. You look back through all the Spurs teams, we've always had some absolutely fantastic players, even when we were poor. You know, in, in, in the 90s, we, of course, had the likes of Ginola, Klinsman. So we've always had some incredible players. Um, I think another thing as well, you know, we spoke about the Newcastle situation and those owners coming in, pumping loads of money. I think one thing that us Spurs fans are all very proud of is kind of the way that we have come up over recent years you know we've tended to always create these superstars and that's something that I'm very proud of that we've done um so I think my, my team is quite similar to yours Ricky I've gone for Loris in goal um of course a World Cup winner uh I've got the two fullbacks I'm, uh, apologies to Jason I've also gone with Danny Rose uh, and I've gone with Carl Walker um I think that that was something that made us so good under Pochettino having those two fantastic fullbacks and you know you look at Liverpool and having their two flying fullbacks in Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold, I think they're two positions that are very underrated. But yeah, they were obviously fantastic. Those two for Spurs, uh, central defenders. I've gone for Lenny King, who you know we all know was potentially could have done a lot more if he hadn't had those problems with knee. Um, and then I've gone for the Tongan alongside him. Of course, a fantastic serving of we as we mentioned. Uh, central midfielders. I've gone for Dembele and Modric. Uh, of course, Modric, I mean, amazing. He went on to win a Ballon d'Or, so that really, I mean, that speaks volumes of, of what he's done during his uh, during his career. Dembele, you know, we all know what the, the players say about him in terms of, you know, I think even Wilshere came out and said last week or this week that he's a Spurs player that he hated to always play against. So, you know, two fantastic central midfielders there. Uh, the wingers, I've gone for Bale and Son. Uh, I think Bale... You know, he was a guy that Spurs, you know, always got you off your seat. He was a guy that, you know, always made you excited to watch Spurs. Son, similar, of course, you know, the way he carries us as well. I think the last season, you know, when Kane was out for, for so much of it, to watch Son carry us was, was fantastic. Um, I've now gone for two strikers. Uh, I've gone for, of course, Harry Kane, uh, for obvious reasons. I mean, he's a guy that's probably going to go on to break records. And I've, I've actually... I did change my team because he is my favourite all-time Spurs player. I have picked Jermaine Defoe, uh, as Lee said, because, as I said, 
He's my yeah, all-time you friend. picked him. I didn't player. know that you had. I didn't know you picked him. So he I, I, yeah, I, 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 I love a quick substitution. I, I just didn't want to miss out on him because you know I think we actually had this conversation recently with uh, some of our mates. I think he is a guy that it was hugely underrated. Um, you know, his goal-scoring ability was absolutely outstanding. In my opinion, he could have gone to a bigger and better club given the the stage that Spurs were at at the time. I think he was just, as I said, he was hugely underrated striker. Um, he's a guy that really that helped me fall in love with Spurs. So I know it's difficult to miss out on him. So yeah, that's my team. Quality. And Rick, just before before you finish, yes. Can I just quickly get get what about your manager? Oh so, my man! Oh in the, in, the, in the same theme, in the same theme, oh, in the same theme, manager. You're trying to get us going, here, aren't you? You're trying to get us going. I would say I think this is going to again be probably popular amongst the oh, some of you anyway. Uh, I would probably say Pochettino, definitely Maurizio Pochettino uh, for me. Yeah, he'd be for me the best Spurs manager. Before him, I would have said Martin Yole. So Pochettino, yes, for me. Lee, for you. Well, again, you mentioned Martin there. I think I've got a good um, affection for Martin Yole. Harry Redknapp as well. I think what Harry did with us was, you know, he qualified us twice for the Champions League, although we missed out because of the Chelsea situation. And, that, you know, Martin's almost like Martin Yole started the ball rolling. Harry came in after a few other managers, this and that, and, and continued that. And then my obvious answer is Potticino. I mean, I, you know, I, I love the guy. He, he made me really proud, again, to wear the Spurs shirt and to be, to be a Tottenham supporter. And you know, the, uh, you know that that for me is the bit that we're that we're missing at the moment. So for me, it would be Poch. Yep, Jace. Let's go back to 1974. Jason, it's Jason. Surely, Jace. <laughs> uh, no, there's only one man it can be for me because you know Birkenshaw's the most successful manager I've seen. So yeah, um, but. I, I don't know if anyone's been watching those big match revisiteds that BT are running. Mm. And it shows you how football has changed. They showed, I think I saw a game yesterday where we played Man City, got beat. Man City hadn't won in 13 games, came to White Hart Lane, won 3-0, ripped us to pieces. So even then it could happen. But but astonishingly, can you imagine this today? Keith Berkishaw was not at the game because he was at Cambridge United scouting a player. God, can you imagine That's that? Amazing. That so he, amazing. Amazing. He missed the first division game against Manchester City because he was scouting at Cambridge to look for a play. Can, and, and actually, I think... It's our type of manager. It's, it's, Transfers. And, and famously, when we beat Bristol Rovers 9-0, he also wasn't there that day. He was off scouting a player. Amazing. So, I mean, could you imagine that happening today? It yeah. just wouldn't, would it? So, it just shows you how football has changed. Has changed. Jay, come on, let's hear it. I think I know... Oh, it's got to be... Gotta be Tim Sherwood, 59% <laughs> win rate. Oh, there he is. There he is. We've got a frame in there. Um, <laughs> no, um, seriously, obviously, Mauricio Pochettino, obviously, um, you know, what he did over those five years, absolutely incredible. Uh, the way he developed players. I mean, he, you know, really was a Spurs man. Um, you know, he made us all very proud to support Spurs, you know, played incredible football. I think we all... It is, and this time has been really difficult because of how good we were. It's kind of, you know, having having had so many years of being, you know, fairly average, fairly average sides, and then five years of having, you know, fantastic football. It is really difficult to have this come down um, over the last couple of months. Um, but of course, yeah, Maurizio Pochettino uh, is is the manager. Agreed. And Lee, fantastic. Lee, Lee, yeah, I've, 
you've heard me just praise Danny Rose and speak well of Danny Rose. I would love in a year's time to be sitting here saying Mourinho's my favourite manager. Uh, for sure, trophy, I know that. I know that. Trophy, we want the same. Lovely football, and I'll, he'll have me eating out the palm of his hand, mate. There you go. You went from Jason here first. We all hope we can sit here like in a year or two's time talk about the same about Mourinho. So, Lee, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a real pleasure. Jace, thank you as always. Great to have you back on. Always a pleasure, Jace. No problem being good on, and just, just the listeners hope they're all out there. We've, we know a, a few. I think Abby lost her granddad and mm. I know a good friend of mine, John Ellis, he's gone through a really tough time, had it, but yep. fortunately come out the other side. So yep. particularly our listeners who have lost loved ones and their thoughts very much with them, mate. Yep. Amen to that. Amen to that. And Jay, David coming back on. Always a pleasure. Really, really do appreciate your time. I totally echo what Jason said. You know, I hope all the listeners are staying well. I hope that this can kind of uh, provide a bit of, you know, a bit of relief during these difficult times. And it's kind of a, something to, to enjoy. Um, but yeah, yeah, just hope everyone's staying well and uh, yeah, good show. Yeah. Okay, guys, listen, keep safe, keep well. As always, keep the faith. Come on, you Spurs. Sports Social Podcast Network.